Welcome back to the Fit Minute Podcast, fitness for real people, with your host, Gabrielle Mazar. Gabrielle Mazar. On today's episode, Gabrielle interviews Paola Jordan of the Lalo Boy Foundation. In this emotional episode, Paola shares her story of losing her son to suicide. She has since created the Lalo Boy Foundation in his honor to help bring awareness to signs of suicide and hopefully prevent others from experiencing this loss. If you are experiencing thoughts of suicide or know someone who may be, please reach out for help. Call the National Suicide Hotline, available 24 hours a day at 1-800-273-8255. And now here's your host, personal trainer and stretch therapist, Gabrielle Mazar. Gabrielle Mazar. Welcome back to the Fit Minute Podcast, Fitness for Real People. I'm your host, Gabby Mazar, and on today's episode, I have Paula Jordan, the founder of the Lala Boy Foundation. And today we're going to talk about a pretty deep and intense subject. Um, I'm sure that a lot of people have dealt with this and can really relate to what we're going to discuss. The Lala Boy Foundation um, is going to be explained um, by Paula, and so... Um, Welcome. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. it. I, I, I'm having a hard time coming to words because this is such a touchy subject with people. Um, we're talking about suicide. And um, recently you lost your son to suicide. And through that, you developed this foundation. And um, we're going to talk about it. First, tell us about your son. Because he was, you know, very intelligent. He was the valedictorian of his school. And, you know, go into a little bit about him, how old he was. And certainly tell us a little bit about him. So um, uh, my son, Adria Romine, um, he started kindergarten at four, four and a half years old. So he, he has always been a, a bright kid. Um, he has always been that student that would be the first one finished and helping his peers um, in his classroom since kindergarten all the way up until the day he died. Um, he is the... He's quiet. Um, he just saw if there was a need, he would help them. Um, it was just something that uh, he likes to be needed, and it was really neat to see him um, do um, an act um, from the, from his heart. Uh, I remember a particular story, him growing up. Uh, There's a kid by the name of Ben Ben. He was autistic, and he was older than Andrio, and uh, he was they were best friends. And he was always spending time with him um, when he was doing the uh, – the Olympics, he was uh, going kind of slow. Audrey crossed the finish line and went back for him to help him cross the finish line. And that's the kind of kid that he started out to be. He continued to do that um, through the years. The parent, uh, not the parents, but the teachers actually utilized his talent in where, hey, Audrey, you're, you're done. Why don't you go and help your peers? And so he'd gladly do it. Um, he was a, a prankster. He was funny and such a goofball. But we're a goofball kind of family. So that was just the nice things that we could see um, about him. But fast forward to being a teenager, um, he continued to be quiet. I uh, didn't have a lot of friends, but that was normal for us to, to see. So there was really no signs. Um, I took some training back in uh, February of 2018 with the Chandler Police for a whole entire month in which I was learning a lot about um, regarding drugs and the uh, opioids and uh, sex trafficking and bullying and you name it. Um, I took classes in that. But we were talking on suicide, and it was just interesting what, what they were saying about the symptoms. But um, I did lose my son May 11th, and there was, to me, uh, 
raising him and being a self-employed mom for 21 years, I was able to be around both of my children and work my schedule around them and be a present mom with them. Uh, but there was no evidence or anything that seemed peculiar for to, to lend me to see something that uh, wasn't normal or set an alarm for me as his mom. Um, there's other professionals that I know here in the Valley that said he was just probably one of those that actually fell under the radar because sometimes they're just really smart, too smart for their own good and they hide those symptoms. So it wasn't um, evident until after he had passed away. Um, and that's where I started to see, you know, looking back, there was a sign. And, uh, but hindsight's twenty twenty. Right. There, the story behind your son, uh, he had reached out on a group um, and, and been in contact with somebody. And um, can you tell us a little bit about that, about what's going on with that and, you know, what your course of action is now? Because you're continuing to fight this with this particular individual. That is correct. And so my message to parents out there is simply um, it, it takes a village to raise our kids. But it's another thing also to keep our kids safe when it comes to Internet safety. So on uh, approximately April 1st, um, my son did go onto a chat room. It was over in a Reddit. Reddit is used by many people all over the world, um, especially adults, where you can get recipes and anything you possibly want. But what people don't know, especially parents, is that it is also on the cusp of um, the dark web. Um, there are people that um, are on there that don't have your children's best interest. Predators. That's correct. Right. And that's a great name to describe this situation. So there is there is a spot in Reddit what is called the Suicide Watch. It's a place for people to um, go and talk with other people that are like mine that are going through the same thing, and they just want people to understand them and what they're going through. So my son did go there. Um, he was he uh, he was seventeen. And in that, he, was, he helped a couple of people. I read some of his threads in which he was helpful and positive and so on. But this particular person, um, they took their a conversation off, you know, to the side. It's in a private chat. And so my son solicited actually that it was with an adult. The adult um, and my son being a minor, they had this conversation since around April 1st to the day of his death, actually leading hours before his death. He was in communication via text. Um, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But the main thing is you read the dialogue um, from very beginning to end, and I've read it over four different times. It always presents itself differently, especially when your frame of mind changes. But basically they were confiding in one another as to they're each suicidal, um, why they're not happy in their life, and, and so on. So they're building this rapport. But what was going on in the communication is that my son did have an interest in committing suicide. Um, he was depressed, uh, unbeknownst to us, but he was. And um, he's talking about different methods on how to take his life. And it, it appeared to me on the way the conversation was is that um, he was being herd into a different, um, you know, herding like cattle into a, you know, a certain area. And in that, they were talking more about um, using a gun. And in that conversation, it was very specific in nature onto how they would use a gun, how um, what size um, bullet is big enough, what si type of gun is appropriate, what is lethal, what's not lethal, um, should I go above my temple, at what angle should I do it, should I go through my mouth, should I go through the back of my head? I mean, 
you know, this is a little graphic, but this is how they were talking. Um, I do have 390 screenshots of these communications, which were very alarming. I was able to get my hands on this two days after he died. Many people that lose someone to suicide don't get answers ever. I was very fortunate to get this information. So I did turn to authorities with the information. Can you tell me, this is very new, and for a parent that is going through this as well, what would you tell them? How could you reach out to them? And and, and what would you say to them to help them get through the, this? If their kid is on the internet uh, chats, or are you saying that are in a state where they're in depression? Um, I would say after the fact after losing a child or losing a loved one to this how can they cope and how what what would you say that has somewhat helped you I mean obviously you're still in this and Mm -hmm. and you will never ever move forward or get over this ever losing a child but how can you help someone else that's dealing with the loss of a loved one Absolutely. So um, there is a community out there. um, And at the end, I'll make sure I leave my number. Um, I'm also an open book and be willing to talk to anybody that has actually lost a child. Um, A lot of times there are some grieving programs out there, support groups. And I I recently participated in one that did not resonate with me because they were talking about losing a spouse. And that program is called Grief Share. It's a fantastic program. Um, But when you lose a child, it is not substantially the same. It's substantially different. Um, There is um, a group um, support groups out there with impact that I've actually participated in and I found it to be very helpful in the very beginning. Um, There is a support group over on um, Facebook that I belong to and it's very supportive. Um, It's just other people just like ourselves that have lost a child and where you could just be real at two in the morning, whatever you're going through, and they're they're, they're literally there for you. Um, I've made it, I met them in person, I've had coffee with them, and it's just so nice to talk to someone that have been in my shoes and are still in my shoes. So they do exist out there. Um, I would caution you to try to keep it to yourself because I think the more that you talk about it, um, just with just someone just being with you whether they're just elbow to elbow with you and not having to say a word that sometimes is just enough um, there's people friends in your community that they are awkward they don't know what to say or how to respond to you um, just please don't take offense to that uh, they silently are in your corner but it's just sometimes not in the way we need them but you know what it's they're doing the best that they can and I, I know it's only been four months for me but I have learned that there are people that truly care, um, that I personally like to hear my son's name. I don't mind people talking about him. And some of your friends and family don't want to bring his name up because they don't want to hurt you. And I would say to the friends and family out there, um, it's okay to talk about that the child is no longer with us because he was part of our memories. He was part of our lives. And it actually does bring some joy to talk about it. And I think that's the one thing that a lot of people don't understand when someone loses a child. So looking back at the time leading up to him taking his own life, do you see signs now that you didn't see then? 
The signs that I saw, I see now that I didn't see then was um, my son was a big gamer. He's uh, He always had a guardian, so we didn't let him play like a Grand Theft Auto, Halo, or Call of Duty, those really you know, I call them aggressive videos. Mm-hmm. He played um, Destiny. Um, his uncle was actually um, his guardian for years and years, which I, that's another conversation, but there's a lot of ways we can keep our child safe. Mm-hmm. And video games as a whole is not necessarily a bad thing. But what he told me one day was probably about maybe three weeks prior. I said, Hey, I noticed you weren't playing video games. So what's going on? He says, I hate video games. I'm not interested anymore. That should have been a sign for me. Um, but what I, I, what his habits were in the past is that he would binge watch, um, like, uh, Prince of Bel-Air, a lot of these family shows he would binge watch, um, I guess because he's in between games, he won the game, so he had nothing to do. So I thought that was kind of one of those moments. Um, but that should have been a clue. Um, one of the other clues is that he did sleep a lot. Now I'm a napper and he was a napper, but he did sleep for a long periods of time. And I thought that was normal. He's exhausted. He was a full-time college student. Um, he took two sciences, labs, and everything. He's a pre-med student. So I'm figuring, okay, you know what? He's he's exhausted mentally. Um, so that could have been a sign, but that's a mixed mixed bag, really. Right. Right. Um, but he did sleep um, extensive periods of time. That's another symptom. The other one is um, eating um, he's always been lazy when it comes to eating. He wanted mom to make him something and made him feel special. <laughs> so uh, to me, that is a sign, but it wasn't at the time. That was normal for me. Um, so there's just things like that. Uh, there was some negative talk, but not anything. I want to kill myself. I hate life. It, I, none of that was ever um, expressed. Not with us. Um, so yes, stepping back, I could definitely see some of those signs. But as far as characteristics of... Uh, you know, smoking and, and getting into drugs and, and irresponsibility, all of that, that wasn't not my son. I think a lot of times um, we don't see the signs. And, and even if we do see something, it's subtle or it, it's not something enough to raise an alarm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after the fact, we see a lot of things that were different that, that could have been signs. Uh, but it's very difficult, and and then we go into this blame game. What could I have done differently? How, why did this happen? Why did they do this? Was this my fault? And what we have to realize is that he was having those feelings, and it wasn't that nobody was reaching out. It's that n- nobody knew. So um, it... it it's just a very hard thing because there's never any closure with it. And one thing that you've done to turn this horrible situation into um, something better for other people is to create and found the Lala Boy Foundation. Can you explain to us what that is, how it helps people, and, and why you wanted to do this? 
Sure. Before we go into that, I just wanted to touch back on something you just said, is that the blame game um, is a very real thing. Um, I did that for the first couple of months um, where I was beating myself up. But what I I did come to grips with um, after at that time on rereading the entire Reddit thread in which I do have preserved, um, I really, uh, out of the fog after the funeral and all of that, I was able to rate it with another set of lenses. And in that, I I can honestly say um, that it wasn't my fault. It's not an it's 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 a big statement, but uh, my son was already thinking about this for some time before this person talked to him on Reddit. It just so happens is this person um, is an adult predator, and there were things that he could have actually said and done or make a report to um, because he was very active in taking his life. And so there was many opportunities and being able to um, deal with that. But going back to the blame game is that it wasn't my fault. And I know that I was a present parent, but there's a thing called concealed depression. It's an article that I read recently. Um, It is fantastic. It really helps me understand my son more. Um, And it's something that I have as a resource and I can share that uh, with whoever wants it. Yeah, I'll share it on uh, in the show notes as well. So people can fantastic. It really helped immensely for me to understand um, that can't change the turn back the clock. But one of the other signs um, that is evident to me now is this depression was going on in his senior year. Because the night before his graduation, being the valedictorian, he told me, I don't want to go to graduation. It's not a big deal. I thought he was being a prankster and, you know, pulling my leg and whatnot, but he was serious. I don't need to go there. It's, I, don't, I don't need the accolades. I'm, I'm fine. I, I know what I accomplished. So he's very a matter of fact about it. But that was the night before. It's the first time I'm actually sharing this. It was the night before that he didn't want to go to his graduation. I mean, I think he's glad he did. And he's had a lot of smiles and, and he did hang out with his friends and all of that. But that was a conversation I did have with him the night before. So this depression has been there. It was just hidden extremely well. And he was saying that uh, some of his fears, uh, he was afraid to be an adult. He was scared and didn't know what he wanted to do. And that's part of why he was feeling these feelings. I think in part... um uh, this is as his mother is is my my d- interpretation, if you will. Um, he was set to go live on campus um, on June twenty fourth of last year after he graduated. He went to do his um, his little uh, orientation. Orientation. Okay. He didn't want mom to go with him because he's sixteen. I'm grown. I don't need my mom. I said, Audrio, I really do need to go because you can't sign any papers. You're a minor. And I'm the one that has to sign for it. He still wind up going by himself. So when he came back home, how did it go? How did this, you know, how did this go? How was the dorm? I didn't go to the dorm. Oh, how come? Because I had to have my parent. <laughs> he didn't like that. So, but I mean, fast forward in that conversation, I just saw something in his face that didn't, I've never seen before. And it was fear. And he's like, uh, mom, can you tell me why I can't live at home? 
Uh, so senior year was actually kind of a difficult time for us because he was had some attitude, you know, that kind of a thing. But that's what what teenagers, teenagers does. exactly. <laughs> and so with that, um, I told him, I said, look, there's going to be respect in this household, and you know, I don't have to let you live here, but I, you know, you need to respect here and do your part as you know, being a member of our family. Um, and so I said it's something I would definitely consider and get back with him on, but he was just really nervous energy. If I lived here, I can help you save money. I don't have to spend your money. I can go, um, I can do my part in doing this, help with the dogs and, you know, just going on and on about a list of things. So obviously this was weighing on him. So the long and short of it is that a couple days later, him and I did talk and we did do an agreement and he did sign it. Actually, he was on his way to Japan. And uh, we had a wonderful, wonderful year. He did live at home. He was going to, he went to Barrett um, and he could have stayed there, but he didn't want to. So um, he was just not ready to be an adult. And I make this statement and even you can have the brightest child like mine, or you can just have your child in who I don't know right now. But the main thing that we need to understand as parents is that the job of our, our, as, as a parent is not to get them to 18. It's to make sure that they have the capabilities and, and the tools to be able to handle the real world because there's a lot out there. Let's and remember cope. exactly. When we were kids, we didn't have all the answers. So we really need to be very mindful and have these conversations before graduation, maybe during senior year. And also when we were kids, we didn't have Reddit. We didn't have Google. We didn't have all of this information at our fingertips. The world is so very different now than it was even 20 years ago. I mean, you know, even when I was in high school, there were cell phones, but they were bricks. You know, it was like <laughs> saved by the bell, that block phone that, <laughs> exactly. it, you know, you had to have plugged into your car lighter. It's like, it is so very different. And and how we're handling it and how you handle it as a parent, we're still learning these things and trying to understand all of it. How How do we raise our kids with cell phones? How do we raise our kids with YouTube? How do we raise our kids with social media? I mean, social media wasn't a thing when I was in high school. That was not a thing. It was that dial-up AOL, you know, it took 15 minutes just to log on. And by the time you log on, you're like, all right, I'm so over this. Exactly. Instant message, great. But, you know, that's something that we really have to consider in raising our children now. I don't have kids, but, you know, but it, it is. I mean, that's one of the reasons that scares me to have children because it is completely unknown it's completely unknown so the one thing i will say to you parents is just because your child graduates from high school it does not mean that they are ready to be an adult i can't emphasize that enough and it was um it took guts for him to admit um that you know he needed he wanted to stay home and so on so when he finished his freshman year he went to oregon on the 7th of may and on may 4th we had a conversation he says mom I want to know, can I stay here for another year? And I have a rental. My daughter lives there. And I said, hey, I said, well, I have an extra room over at the rental. It's close to ASU. I said, would you be interested in that? He says, no, I'm not. He says, I'd like to live at home. And I said, okay, we had a wonderful year. That was great. I would love that. So it was his choice. 
And so he planned all his classes for his sophomore year. He was going to live at home. He went off to Oregon, never saw him again. Um, So it was just so mind-boggling because he was preparing for his next year. But marginal shifts do happen. So uh, let's go back to the Lala Boy Foundation and tell me a little bit about it. So um, basically what I – I'm I'm a – by trade, I'm a a divorce mediator, and um, I – work with families for the last 10 years. And so I do talk about the co-parenting. I talk a lot about parenting nuggets of any kind. But one of the things that I do talk about is counseling and the necessity of counseling, not only for the parents, but necessity of counseling for the children. What I'm finding just with my own families is that they are on extremely tight budget. Um, One is going to lose their insurance out of this situation um, and medical costs become an issue and the co-pays and the deductibles and everything and, and so um, counseling is not higher in their priority because they've got to put you know groceries on the table pay utilities and have a roof over their head so just with these families that I work with is that they don't know how they would pay for counseling and then I also am a divorce care facilitator and I've been doing that for six and a half years with my husband where we work we have a support group for divorce and I again we talk about counseling and they don't have the money or the resources and asks for resources for free counseling and so on so I've been around divorce for 10 years and so when he passed away um, he did get um, counseling services you know, his also, I've had some issues about getting counseling service because his his father was not in on the same page with me on getting the counseling services. But eventually we got on that page um, with the help by the court um, to get him these services. So I know that it's helpful um, in how my kids were able to receive benefit, but it's another thing to be able to have the means to be able to pay for that. Um, because the insurance has changed so much and so rapidly in the last five years, um, I've been seeing a strong need um, for counseling services because even if they were to get on access, they only have certain limitations on that. So what we're trying to do with Lollaboy Foundation is to raise funds um, in which we would scholarship families for counseling services. It's mainly for the, the children first. But secondary would be to family counseling in a group setting. Also to provide um, counseling, not counseling, but uh, support services. So if like we have a waiting list to get into counseling, um, we would also have support groups for the youth to be able to speak in that. That's going to be down the road. Um, But my idea is to partner up with any other um, mental health professionals that are out there. Um, I would love to know um, who you are that are, you know, passionate about what you do, but also to work it out so that I could scholarship and work with you individually um, to get these services for these families. So I'm not looking to take a um, salary of any kind. Um, I am going back into public speaking. That's one of my passions. But I'm passionate about parents. I'm passionate about children. I'm passionate about the village and having the tools to act in crisis or just raising kids in today's times. So I'm looking to speak at schools. Um, If there's a PTO, I would speak at the PTO to talk with other parents. Um, So that's where I'm going to be lending myself, um, you know, to to be able to speak on it. I I've always been complimented over the years about my parenting style and um, effective parenting. Um, So it's something that's it's not foreign to me, but. I just want everybody to be equipped, but I want these kids to get the counseling services they need so I could at least speak to that. I think um, that people don't think of counseling in a way that is necessary. Um, 
I think people think, oh, well, I'm not crazy. Uh, there's nothing wrong with me. Why do I need counseling? But what we need to understand is that especially, you know, working with families of, in divorce, um, a lot of times the parents aren't on the same page and they're back and forth. And the person that's affected the most in that relationship or non-relationship rather is the child. And even though you don't see necessarily something wrong with your child, that's a trauma that they're trying to cope with because they don't understand that it's it's not because of them that their parents are separating. Their belief or their thought sometimes goes to, this is my fault, you know, mommy and daddy don't love each other, and and how they deal with it. So even something as small as taking a child to counseling to cope with that and to really let them know that it's okay that, you know, mommy and daddy are better this way, they can be better parents this way, and it's not their fault, I think is huge. But, you know, I think traditionally we think of counseling or um, psychiatry even as more of something that you go to when something is wrong or when something, you know, when you're crazy. But it's not. It's something, you know, my boyfriend and I, we go to counseling often because we try to deal with issues in our relationship to make us stronger because I don't want to harbor anger or hate or, I mean, not that I hate him, but, you know, it it helps you to understand the other person's side of the story or just to understand why you're feeling a certain way or why, you know, you're reacting a certain way and... If you have a third party, a mediator, a counselor to say, you know, this person feels this way or you're saying these words, Mm -hmm. you know, why are you saying it this way and why do you feel that way? Mm -hmm. And even if it's just in yourself, you know, it might help in that situation, you know, to maybe prevent some sort of to prevent suicide or to prevent terrible things from happening. So getting early intervention, even if you don't think something is wrong, can definitely help. So some of my training, I I have actually um, learned that counseling is is a tool. And um, I'm in my second marriage, um, and we get a tune-up. I like to call it a tune-up. <laughs> yeah. And I and it's actually been really helpful. A couple years ago, I needed a tune-up. I was going through some something going on, and um, it was super helpful. And so there is no shame in that. And that's kind of what I do share with my parents is that um, it's just getting some tools. And so it goes back to when the kids um, are little, let's say they're in elementary school, it is not a bad idea um, to maybe find a counselor, maybe in your neighborhood or by referral of a friend that has a child in counseling and have an introductory meeting with your child with that counselor. And then probably about fifth or sixth grade. And then they're going into junior high. So let's just say summer of um, after they just graduated from sixth grade, they're going to be going, they're going over this big, big threshold of going into junior high. They're going through a new season and everything's going to look different. There's going to be different structures and so on. And it can be very overwhelming to the child. So that's a great opportunity to make another appointment with the counselor um, just to kind of brush up after maybe they started after a week or two or just prior to. Um, 
because there might be some anxiety that they are holding on to. And then there's high school, and they probably would need a counselor more often because they are their hormones, they're oh, growing, absolutely. and everything. Hormones, emotions, you're angry, you're Subjects. happy, you're you don't know how to deal absolutely. with puberty and so what you've relationships. just done. You've just taught your kid that um, in in elementary school that it's okay to talk to someone that's not mom or dad. Yes, I think parents take it very personal that why don't my kids talk to me and sometimes it's easier for them to talk to someone else because they don't feel that they'll be judged so be okay with your um, kids talking to someone other than you whether it be an uncle an aunt a grandma a grandpa or, or a counselor or a teacher um, it's important that they're talking to someone because what's happening in today's um, time is kids are talking to kids and they're not talking to enough adults so i was told this i think it's great sound advice simply to give those introductory meetings with their counselor so if there is in crisis they can be asking for counseling on their own and feel comfortable they already have a relationship with one and they kind of are on speed dial and that also goes with um, parents Um, we all go through different stages and we get overwhelmed as parents it's okay but what happens is when you're talking about counseling, it's not so much that my family's as a whole saying that counseling isn't necessary. It's the associated cost. Um, and that's why we want to get these resources and um, have referral partners that we can um, help them in, help these families with their specialty. So uh, just, just know that dialoguing about it and being okay with having tune-ups in our lives is really, really okay. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's it's great that you're trying to reach people in that way because you're right, the associated cost with it is often the deterrent as to why people do not seek help, whether it's medically, mentally, physically, whatever it is, you know, it's very off-putting and people have that fear, you know, oh, I can't afford it, but you need it you need to talk to somebody and it helps for somebody that's not your parent or that's not your friend to say or repeat back to you what you're saying. A lot of times you don't listen, you're not listening to what a parent's saying, but an unbiased party, they're not saying something to you because they love you. They're not saying something to you because they don't want to hurt your feelings. They're saying something to you because this is what it is. This is what you just said to me, and I'm t- I'm telling you what this means and why, you know, what my interpretation of it is from a counseling standpoint, you know. So I think it's great what you're doing. If anybody need, wants more information on Lullaboy Foundation, if anybody needs help, through a divorce or with counseling or needs, you know, to be directed in a certain way or even just to talk to Paula about losing a child or going through what she went through. And if you've gone through this, she is here to be an open book, to be some a resource for you to help you through this. She really want you really want to help people. Absolutely. So um, I'll have all of that, all of your information in my show notes. Um, But if people want to reach you or find out more about the Lullaboy Foundation, how can they? They can reach me at 480-612-4656. That's 480-612-4656. Okay. Um, I will have more information on her. So please, if 
anybody has any suspicion or any idea of someone in their life, some loved one, please reach out or please reach out to them because they may be going some, through something that you don't don't understand and they might need the help that they're not getting or they don't think that they're getting. So there's one more thing I wanted to add and, and that is that for you parents, um, in my situation, I don't want you to become a member of my club. But many of you don't know, but there is no law on the books right now for an adult to talk to a minor child about self-harm or suicide. That is this, the midst of what I'm going through right now. Um, it's very upsetting, um, this whole process of four months. Um, they basically closed the case um, in three jurisdictions, California, Oregon, and Arizona were affected by this case. There was a joint task that it was, um, that was Arizona and Oregon working together on this. Uh, but I did talk to the FBI. I did talk to Scottsdale Cybercrimes. All of them said that their hands are tied. There is no law, and you need to talk to your lawmaker. So right now, um, I've reopened the case over in Oregon. Um, just uh, the sheriff's department there is actually taking it upon himself to see about what they can do to ch change legislation and reached out to the um, state senator and the state representative and the um, the. Uh, I think it's the AG's office in Klamath. Um, they are actually looking at, at uh, changing the um, statute or something like that. So I'm supposed to do an interview shortly with them. And here in Arizona, I do have a, a representative um, here that is supposed to meet me, with me pretty soon and, and being able to help me put something together. So I won't stop. Um, but it needs to be illegal. It's not taking, um, this is an argument people bring up, is that it's infringing on their civil liberties for, um, you know, being able to have um, the freedom of speech. Freedom of speech is, is in our Constitution, but in freedom of speech, it does not talk about inflicting harm on other citizens on upon Especially themselves a minor. and and that's the situation um i'm only going after the minor aspect because this is about my son and thereafter once we get that into play there will be other things that i want to go after as far as like for special needs or vulnerable vulnerable adults and that kind of a thing so everything is a step-by-step -step process um but there is no law so what i ask you parents to do is please, please um, enlist in your parent controls on the computers and other devices, and also using a program um, uh, like Bark. Um, I have a link that you can actually um, use um, for, for trying it out. But at any rate, um, these resources are out there, but you it does take parents and the village to help say, you know, keep your kids safe. Yes, it does. Thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story. And we will all think about your son and all of us hopefully can help in some way. So please reach out. Um, but really, thank you so much for, for sharing. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So thanks everybody for listening and we will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Fit Medic podcast, fitness for real people with your host, Gabrielle Mazar. If you'd like more information on today's episode, you can find it in the show notes or you can find it on Gabrielle's website at www.healthybodyworksaz.com. You can also find out more information about Gabrielle's fitness vacations. Be a guest for the all-inclusive Fitcation to Kauai, February 29th through March 5th, 2020, or join us in Banff, Canada, July 25th through August 4th, 2020. 
Be sure to share the show, give this podcast a great review, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Join us next week to hear more stories from people just like you. This has been the Fit Minute Podcast, Fitness for Real People with Gabrielle Mazar.